And greetings. Welcome to The Dividing Line, another remote edition of the program today. Hopefully it lighted a little bit better, I guess. Um, I think I know why it's lit up a little bit better, but I guess yesterday I looked like I had the plague or something. <laughs> so it's like, wonderful. Hey, we're doing the best we can. Uh, Brother Rich still a little bit under the weather and uh, seems like everybody is uh, these days. And of course, everybody immediately is like, ah, but we talked about that yesterday. We're not going to go there uh, today. Things we want to talk about, I briefly, uh, if you want an example, a horrific example of cancel culture, uh, Michael Brown wrote an article uh, about uh, this uh, yesterday, well, it was published yesterday. I had seen the story sometime last week about a young woman who at age 15 in a three second video when she got her learner's permit um, used the N-word and she's not N. And uh, she was uh, basically imitating rappers who use the term constantly. Um, I'm sorry, I, I I have absolutely, there is no place in a logical mind for the idea that one group gets to use a word and it's cool, and then another group can't use that word because it's not cool. It, it just, if you're going to use it, then you can't complain about it. Just all there is to it. But that was, you know, I'm from a, a different, different age, uh, different uh, planet, it seems these days. Anyway, and then uh, someone who doesn't like her uh, saves the video for three years and when she gets into a university then drops it and gets her kicked out of the university now i hold the university accountable any university that is run by such morons as would kick someone out of the university for something they said on a three-second video when they got their learner's permit at age 15 that shows you our universities are run by five-year-olds. They really are. The, the, the mental and moral age of most university presidents today is, is about five. Uh, they are frightened out of their minds that these skulls full of mush um, are going to attack their offices and do a sit-in or whatever else. And so they're, they, they're, they just do whatever they're told. And so the inmates have taken over the asylum. And I look, any parent, you just need to recognize, looking at the university system today, there are a handful of Christian universities left that are worth any of the investment that you would put in. None of these Ivy League schools are... How can any Christian parent justify spending that kind of money sending a child to a place that is so soaked in absolute rebellion and utter insanity. I mean, that's the only way you can put it. And so here you have, and if, if this is, if this is just think of anyone's digital footprint, you know, I was talking to a friend today and he was talking about, uh, you know, this uh, this great uh, Republican Christian man, he's going to be president someday. And I'm like, 
impossible. <laughs> well, someday, maybe, you know, after the Great Reset collapses, maybe, um, when mankind has, has come to realize that it's Christ or chaos, when um, you see people recognizing the need to um, control the expression of evil in the sense of genetic manipulation and all this, you know, when abortion has been abolished because it finally becomes recognized as the murder of unborn children that it is. Okay, fine. But right now, uh, just, just think of, of the people that seemingly are sitting around at computers, just waiting to pull up, everything they possibly can on anyone. And I don't care if you delete it or not. You can't delete something. Once you hit send, it is undeletable. It is out there forever and ever and ever and ever. And stuff that you said 40 years ago that was utterly unremarkable then, an immature childish society will ignore that time shift because that's that's what the whole social justice thing is i mean you you can you judge everyone in the past on the basis of the standards you have now so you can do that for dead people you can do that for living people it doesn't matter what they said at the time may have been perfectly accepted by everybody including you yourself but there is no redemption there is no forgiveness in the social justice movement and so you can dig anything up and hold any anybody accountable for absolutely positively anything so I feel sorry for this young lady. Um, you know, obviously she shouldn't have been imitating uh, people that we pay millions and millions of dollars to to be rude and obnoxious and profane and everything else. But there you go. Um, that's um, that's what we're, we're looking at. I don't know if any of you saw this, but my my comment on this was the government of the United Kingdom uh, owes George Orwell royalties. They really do. If you go to HTTPS colon backslash backslash actearly.uk or just actearly.uk should pull it up. Actearly.uk is someone close Becoming a stranger. Uh, Act. Action counters terrorism. It's a UK government website that you'll notice on the very first page, share a concern. You click on share a concern. If you're worried about someone, call the National Police Prevent Advice line. Gives the number and confidence. Share your concerns with our specially trained prevent officers the advice line is available every day 9 a.m to 5 p.m <laughs> so there can be no worries about terrorist activities at 2 a.m morning calls outside these hours will be transferred to specialist counter-terrorism officers well that's even scarier uh etc etc there's the advice line you can click on that what details do we need uh, we'll need some information about the person you're worried about, but it will help to prevent officers to know your details in full too. We may need to ask you more questions. Um, this is a website that is fundamentally asking 
the citizens of the United Kingdom to become snitches on anyone around them. And if you, if you haven't noticed recently, um, this is really dangerous. Right now, it's just really annoying, but it's really dangerous. Um, I keep remembering, and I don't think it's in the movie. I, I think it was in the book. But I keep remembering that Winston, in 1984, was very, very concerned about the children living across the hall even though he helped them uh, unplug their drains and stuff like that, living in the slums they were living in under socialism, uh, which is where we're all headed, by the way, uh, willingly, but for our good and for the safety of everyone and for Christians for loving your brother. Um, but uh, Winston was, was really frightened about the children because he could tell by the way they were looking at him that they were constantly thinking that he was guilty of thought crime which he was. And you're seeing that all over the place right now. And it's the government and media that's telling people, this is a good thing. You need to be reporting your neighbors when you think there's something wrong. And you might say, well, but, but what about like 9-11? And what if somebody had reported those folks stuff like that? It really seems that no one has taken the time to think through the uh, background and thinking of the movie called Minority Report, <laughs> pre-crime. Remember pre-crime? That's, that's, people think that the role of government and police is to stop crime before it happens. Now, as a Christian, just stand back a second. Leave all the techie, weird stuff out. Where is that in scripture? You, you educate the people as to what God's law is. You educate the people as to what the punishment of God's law is. But where is there anything about preventing someone from doing something based upon your trying to read their minds? You're trying to read their hearts. Is there, is there anything like that at all? I, I'm not aware of anything. And so God has not given us this ability. God has not given us the capacity to look into the hearts and minds of individuals and to determine they might do something like this. Instead, we're supposed to be responsible individuals who take care of ourselves and protect ourselves against people like that, which is why uh, demanding that people be unarmed in the presence of evil is an, an absurd action of a anti-Christian worldview. And yet many Christians support it because they've been deceived into ignoring biblical worldviews regarding God's law and things like that. So here is a, is a creepy, creepy website. Ken Ham actually pointed it out. And you must understand the things that, you know, spot the signs that they're talking, you know, what to look for, what to look for. They're, they're talking about basic radicalization. Okay. All right. So, you know, a young Muslim man who used to talk to you on the street and things like that. And now all of a sudden he's dressing differently and he's very obviously doing all the prayers and he's going to a different mosque. Now he won't talk to you. Um, OK, I, I get that. But you need to understand 
And my Muslim friends will tell you I've been consistent on this line for a long, long time. Christians need to understand that every anti-Muslim action of a secular government logically and consistently must result in the same type of actions being taken against Christians. So when France says no more homeschooling, what they're trying to do ostensibly is to stop radicalization of young people by placing them in the state school. Not recognizing, of course, that secularism is a radical perspective as well, but they're a secular state. So what do you expect? Um, You do that in regards to Islam and you can't avoid the reality that you then are having to do the same thing in regards to Christians and putting Christian children into that anti-Christian, anti-God context of the secular secular, uh, educational system. So um, it's not just Christianity. This is the kind of stuff that will be used for anyone who opposes any of the Great Reset. Because the Great Reset will always be expressed within the context of the greater good. So you're creating a hive mind. You're creating uh, the, the, you're creating people who have been taught that they need to think a certain way and thinking another way means that's a bad person and we need to help them reading this, reading this website. Uh, if you've not read Ira Levin's This Perfect Day, then may yeah, I suggest to you, remember, it's not a Christian book. There's profanity in it and things like that, but um, not as much as you get in a lot of movies, uh, to be honest with you, but you'll see. Uh, it comes from a worldly viewpoint, but the point is the medical intervention that they use, the treatments that they use, create a mindset where everybody is unified and everybody, it's great. Everybody wants to help everyone else. And everyone wants wants to be very, very uh, humble and smile and la, 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 la. But the whole idea is if anyone thinks differently than what uni wants them to think, unicom, the uh, computer that controls the entire globe, Um, then you're considered sick. And since you're sick, you need to be treated. That's what this is about. (laughs) It's like, wow. So if you question the motives of a government, and I'm seeing this, I'm watching this on Twitter constantly. People just shocked that you would go, man, I don't trust the government today. You don't trust the government? I remember, a, oh, how long ago was it that I was in New Zealand? I've told the story before. And sitting around with some folks and, and there are Christians going, I just don't understand you Americans and your guns. It's like, well, I, I don't think you should trust uh, a conglomeration of sinners called a government. We trust our government explicitly. And I'm just like, that's, that's what you're going to be asked here too. And so when when the um, when the masked people, well, they're all masked people. When the masked people show up with their their syringes ready to go, 
and, and they want to inject you. You, uh, you trust what's in there? Do you know what's in there? Do you know? How do you know? How do you know? What, what happens once they start saying, well, you know, now we have another strain and another strain, and so we're going to put this in there, we're going to put that in there, becomes a cocktail. And how do you know what's in there? Mm-mm-mm. Just have to trust, just have to trust. Got to trust, 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 trust. Oh, uh, well. Yeah, so um, actearly.uk, man, just spend some time reading through there and just think about, you know, some people, I had some guy on Twitter just get all upset. How can you judge us? You're an American. You don't know what's going on here. You can't judge our society, blah, 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 blah. I'm just like, what does, does Big Brother have to come out and start the two minutes hate and put a sign over his neck says, I am Big Brother before you get the idea? It's astonishing. It really, really is astonishing. But check it out. Uh, it, it is, um, it is amazing to to, to look at it. It's oof, wow, shocking stuff. Okay, let's. Um, oh, let, and, and let let me show you something. I've shared this screen earlier. Oh, I mean, I shared it with Rich, and it, he said it looked good. So I'm gonna try sharing it again, and and see if this works hopefully you can you can see this uh share so hopefully instead of my ugly mug you're now seeing a screenshot from the world health organization uh the two are from january uh, june 9th 2020 and november 13th 2020 but they're the same page uh this is coronavirus disease serology Coronavirus, disease, COVID-19, serology, what is herd immunity? What is herd immunity? Okay, there's been small changes up here, but it's answering the question, what is herd immunity? Now, back in June, you were given the definition of herd immunity that most of us learned back in March um, when this started being discussed in general quarters rather than in specifically only amongst odd people called virologists. Um, or epidemiologists, um, herd immunity, here's the original definition. Here, herd immunity is the indirect protection from an infectious disease that happens when a population is immune, either through vaccination or immunity developed through previous infection. This means that even people who haven't been infected or in whom an infection hasn't triggered an immune response, they are protected because people around them who are immune can act as buffers between them and an infected person. The threshold for establishing herd immunity for COVID-19 is not yet clear. So the idea of herd immunity um, is a relevant idea, whether you have immunizations or not, whether you have vaccines or not, because herd immunity has always existed. When it, when, when a disease hits the human population, um, and you have survivors and they have antibodies, they become vector breakers. So an infected person is only going to put out so much virus. And if two out of every three or three out of every four or four out of every five people that they hit with their virus unintentionally, but they do so is already immune, then you're breaking vectors and you eventually develop herd immunity and the virus can no longer thrive and increase and, and the uh, outbreak ends. That's what herd, that, that's the historical definition of herd immunity, but that doesn't help 
That doesn't help. And that needs to be changed. And here is where, again, if George Orwell were being paid royalties by all the governmental organizations that are just stealing his ideas and putting them into practice, he, his estate would be doing really well. Because just a few months later, um, so um, five months later, the answer to what is herd immunity is not what it used to be. Now, herd immunity, also known as population immunity, is a concept used for vaccination in which a population can be protected from a certain virus if a threshold of vaccination is reached. Herd immunity is achieved by protecting people from a virus, not by exposing them to it. Huh. That's a whole new definition that's actually the opposite of the old definition. So... There's never been herd immunity until vaccines were developed. So no one ever developed herd immunity before the modern era. That's absurd. Of course it's absurd. But the Ministry of Truth doesn't care about whether something's absurd or not. Um, That's just how they're going to do things. And there you go. There's the World Health Organization showing us that they are very much a part of the um, Ministry of Truth. And uh, willing to redefine terms and change meanings and everything else, just just on the fly. So, so there you go. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, I'm I'm excited. <sighs> Someone else sent me a video of a policeman who followed a guy home from the grocery store because he didn't wear a mask. That's that's exciting. And the policeman doesn't understand the difference between a governmental mandate and a law. A lot of people don't. Um, you know, laws are passed by legislatures with duly represented representatives doing the voting and all this quote unquote emergency stuff. Well, there you go. You got to trust the government to do what's right in situations like that. And, um, I don't know about, but the rest of you, but I've come to the conclusion that that's uh, not a good thing these days. All right. This has led to a very, very interesting development on the theological uh, side of things. I don't know if you saw the Christian post from December 23rd. I'm not sure why it took so long to get out, but uh, Leah Marianne Klett uh, wrote a an article for the Christian post, Rick Warren, COVID-19 has revealed a fundamental weakness in the church. Now, To my knowledge, Saddleback Church closed up shop in March and has not met since then. To my knowledge, that's what I've read. Um, And so uh, Rick Warren, and we know that over the past number of years, Rick Warren has swung wildly to the left. And in regards to you know, being ecumenical and woke and everything else. And it was just a few weeks ago they did the segregated for African-American only people meeting and all this kind of stuff. So two left wings, woke as can be. And so here you have a allegedly 20,000 member church um, not meeting, so they're not doing the ordinances of the church, as far as I can tell. But notice what he told Relevant Magazine 
He said, COVID revealed a fundamental weakness in the church. Oh, weakness in the church. Well, it's always good to, to know where the weaknesses in the church are. Most churches only have one purpose. Now, remember, this is the author of The Purpose Driven Life. Most churches only have one purpose, worship. And if you take worship away, you've got nothing. They're in a hurry to get back to worship because that's all they've got. Okay. Um, He goes on to say, but the 20,000 member Saddleback Church is built not on one purpose, but on five. Warren explained, you take one circle out, you still got four other circles. You've got ministry going on. We've got mission going on. We've got fellowship going on. We've got discipleship going on. Those all stand on their own. Now just stop for a moment and think of these five circles. Evidently, worship is one. Uh, ministry is another. Mission is the third. Fellowship is the fourth. And discipleship is the fifth. And those all stand on their own. They all stand on their own. So you can have discipleship without worship, without ministry, without mission, without fellowship. You can have fellowship without worship or without discipleship. Um, You can have ministry without any of the other four. I think most of us are going... No, you can't. I mean, it's one thing to be able to conceptualize and distinguish certain aspects, especially so that you can prioritize appropriately. But when you say that each one of these can exist without the other four, then they're equal, right? They'd have to be equal. How else could it be? And I, I'm just left stunned. I shouldn't be stunned. We, we, we should have... What, what this is revealing is how wildly outside the, the boundaries many of these churches have been for a long, long time. And how unbiblical their ecclesiology has been for a long, long time. But... When you, when you think about that, he actually claims that Saddleback has seen over 16,000 people come to Christ since March. Now, I've got a question. How many have been baptized? Yesterday, there it goes, disappears. Yesterday, my glass kept doing the ghostly thing. Now, you got to drink water. Um... It started to there at the end. It's not actually green, so I'm not sure why it does that. But anyway, 16,000, have they been baptized? Are they being discipled? Um, have they partaken of the Lord's Supper with the rest of the body? Are there be, are, how can you say that you have discipleship without worship? Without the gathered body, partaking of the supper, observing baptism, And most importantly, listening to the word of God opened amongst the people. 
and the gospel being proclaimed in that context. Once you fracture New Testament ecclesiology in this way, once you shatter it, break it into its into distinguishable but not disconnectable elements. And then you say, don't need worship. We'd like to have it. But it's not definitional. You have truly abandoned any meaningful claim to being a New Testament church. And this is, of course, let's just be honest, this is what um, happened with liberalism at the end of the 19th century in the United States. Do you remember the video um, last year? I think it was actually, I think it was 2019. Well, I guess it still is last year. Do you remember the video last year of the, um, well, there's been a couple videos. So you'll have these processions into these leftist churches of various people dressed as plants, you know, trees. It looks like something out of Lord of the Rings or something. The ants are uh, attacking, throwing rocks or something. I don't know. At, at, at Union Theological Seminary, you had the, 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 the plants put into a circle and everyone gathers around the circle and is a, are asking the plants to forgive them for their acts of aggression against Mother Nature and, you know, this kind of stuff. So you you think about that kind of mindset. And how did that happen? I mean, you, you didn't have a sound worshiping church with someone proclaiming the word of God with authority and consistency one Sunday, and the next Sunday they're walking in in their tree suits. That, that, that doesn't happen. There's a process that takes place. And there is no reason to have true God-honoring worship if you don't have the conviction that that is what the church is called to do. So, so you look at Revelation, you see worship going on in heaven, you see the connection with here on earth, uh, you see that the, uh, the picture that is presented in Revelation 4 and 5 going back to Isaiah chapter 6, reveals to us that there is a consistent worship service going on throughout all time in heaven, and that our worship on earth is to be a pale but meaningful reflection of the reality of what has been going on since creation itself. And hence... This becomes our connection to every other generation, both past, present, and future. We are involved in that one worship of the one true God in the way that he is revealed that he is to be worshipped. Once you have the leftward arc, which is so consistent in denominations and seminaries and so heading to the left, you no longer have the high level of confidence that comes from believing the Bible is the inspired word of God. 
and that the Bible is consistent with itself. And the Bible reveals to us the truth about who God is. Once you lose that, you have no foundation for any meaningful worship. And so for a while, you still end up with the external forms. You see this, sadly, in a lot of churches in Europe and the UK, uh, where you still have the external forms, but the fundamental stuff of the theology is gone. And so you still do the outward stuff, but you'll, you'll have people who literally can quote the Nicene Creed, but the Nicene Creed has no meaning to them. None whatsoever. And, and if you were to ask them, so do you really believe that Jesus was very God of very God, light from light? Well, they know the words, but it's like, you mean like, really? Like as in the man Jesus who lived was really God incarnate? You know, that's, that's just a story. And that's what happens. And so that eventually the old forms die out and are replaced with the walking trees. And the stuff that we see all the time, you know, the, the woke stuff and, and everything else, just there's nothing to keep it out any longer. And so it just flows right on in. And so I, I'd like to know from the folks at Saddleback, I would like to know from Rick Warren, uh, what have you done with these 16,000 people. I mean, your church should now be 36,000 members, right? Start at 20,000. And if you're claiming to have led 16,000 people to the Lord since March, then your church should have a membership of 36,000 people now, right? I mean, you're going to have real problems if they eventually do open things up, uh, finding enough room for everybody. But right now, what are you doing with these 16,000 people? You're not, you're not leading them in worship. So how do you do discipleship? How do you do ministry? How do you do missions? How do you do fellowship? When you've cut off one arm, cut off one leg, said we can, we can do without that. We've got our five, we've got the head, and we've got two, two legs, and we, we've got two legs, two arms, and we cut off the head, <laughs> so we're still good. <laughs> got our five circles, but yeah, they're sort of connected, you know? I mean, fellowship, when, when do you have the sweetest fellowship? When there has been true worship, right? It's based upon God's truth. It's based upon the proclamation of God's word. Um, I remember just a few, uh, a couple months ago, in fact, I'm going to have to mention to Elliot, I want to do this again, but we, we had a, a service and the sermon, and honestly, I don't remember whether I preached or Jeff did, but um, we had a service where the, the sermon was convicting and uplifting and strong. And then during the Lord's Supper was just special. And then uh, our, our music leader, will start a song as the supper is ending that we all join in on. And we did a, a song that is really honestly, in, in some ways, I mean, I've sung it all around the world with saints in many different languages. 
and it's just like Amazing Grace is quasi canonical uh, because it just touches so many people. It is well with my soul. And when it is well began, everyone began seeing it, but in such a reverent way. And it was such reflection upon the supper and the gospel and it just all came together so that I would say the fellowship that we had with one another in that supper, as we sang that song together was incredible worship. And it was ministry and it was discipleship and it prepared us for mission. So you can't, this idea that you can break these things up and they stand on their own and you can just, you know, we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll just, we'll not, uh, we'll not worship. Well, so someone rightly pointed out that aside from the fact that I think the apostles would have looked at something like this and gone, what? Um, Aside from that fact, when push is going to come to shove, when the Gavin Newsoms and all the rest of these totalitarian dictators um, decide that that Christian church thing is a real downer, it's a negative. We this isn't helping us out the way that needs to help us out. Um. And they say, you're not going to meet anymore. They're going to point to people like Saddleback and say, and these people agree with us. These people are on our side. Because they're going to be the first people who go, hey, we just want to do whatever, you know, the government wants us to do. And uh, It's interesting. Uh, Warren said, we're in revival, he said. We're in revival. So his church, which is not meeting and is not worshiping, is in revival. Well, there you go. There's, there's what you have. There's what's, what's going on. And it just makes you go, how strange has the world become? There will not be a united Christian front in California. So if eventually Grace Communities, legal stuff, and the other churches there comes to court, as is happening faster in Canada, people standing up there, as is happening in the UK, when it eventually gets to court, I can assure you that these people will be asked to testify against those who stand up and say, no, God has commanded us to worship him. And they're going to come along and say, well, no, there's another way of understanding these things. And that weakens us. There's no question that that weakens us. Um, what do you do about that? Well, you, you, you point out their errors, but um, when it comes to the time in the, uh, in the courtroom... We better be blatant and clear in what we have to say uh, about those situations. It's sad. 
um, it really, really is sad because you can obviously look back at a time when things were very different and Rick Warren was in a different place, but, but there you go. Um, ecumenism never, ever, ever leads to a, a stronger spine, uh, in, uh, what's going on. Let me just mention in passing, I, um, I do not, uh, <laughs> some people on Twitter are surprised. They must not listen to the voting line. Surprised that I, I responded to uh, Peter Hitchens. Peter Hitchens tweeted this uh, on the 20, yesterday. He said, uh, if in 100 years there are any future historians in a free country, rather than a vast regimented PRC from pole to pole, the question they will need to answer most urgently is, quote, why did the free peoples of the world fail so completely to defend their liberty? End quote. To which I responded, exactly, and the answer is not far to find. The secular worldview reduces men to ugly bags of mostly water, fizzing chemicals with no cosmic significance. Freedom and liberty means nothing to bags of transient chemicals, but they mean a great deal to men. And uh, Steph Thais uh, responded, ugly bags of mostly water sounds like something out of a Star Trek episode, specifically The Next Generation, which mostly proves your point. And I responded just before the program started. It's a direct quote from the TNG episode, Home Soil. And I misspelled it, should be, and is a very accurate description of the human being when removed from God's creative design. Um, Steph responded, thanks, I'm totally geeked out now. My brain feels like a rusty steel trap. (laughs) So you had remembered uh, the the background of ugly bags of mostly water. It's actually ugly giant bags of mostly water. But you don't use that part because that was, these were little critters, silicon critters that lived in sand. And so we would look very giant to them. That doesn't really translate into the discussion of what we're talking about here. Um, but then again, then again, um, I don't know. I, the, <laughs> if you wanted to, and I think, I think there are some, some people who do, if you wanted to spend your every waking hour right now doing deep dives into strange corners of the internet, you will hear and see a whole lot of strange things. Like, for example, everybody saw the um, uh, video that was posted a couple days ago of something burning up in the atmosphere over West Virginia. And I followed a few comments on Twitter and ended up in some weird places where people were talking about how a, a Moab had been detonated in Massachusetts and 50,000 invading Chinese soldiers had been killed. And, and uh, this was part of a, a, a space battle between the United States and China and just all sorts of really interesting stuff uh, that you can find out there. I never did find out what the story of that was, if it was even real. That's the other problem. Who knows if, if what you see online anymore is even real. Uh, I saw that uh, dancing robots thing yesterday. Is that real? I don't know. 
because it looks just like a robot that I saw last year in a video that turned out to be a guy. It was a fake uh, because the, you know, it was where, where you're, you're beating up on the robot and trying to keep it from doing stuff that's trying to do. And then it turned around, beat the guy up and it ended up being a fake. And how are you supposed to know? I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, we're, we're, we're putting actors back in movie and television who are now 50 years older than when we first saw them and we're de-aging them. We've got, we have, Carrie Fisher is still, was still acting in movies after she died. You know, I mean, okay, some of that you can tell, but some of it's starting to get to where you can't tell. So I, I don't know. I don't know what to believe about almost any of that kind of stuff uh, anymore because there's, there's no way of knowing. There's no way of being able to uh, analyze this stuff. All of that to say that there is a lot of speculation going on um, about what's going to happen in a matter of a week. Uh, January 5th and 6th. So on January 5th, we have in the United States the election in Georgia. I, I, I can certainly never think of a situation in the history of the past 150 years where a senatorial election in the state of Georgia would literally have the attention of the entire world, but it does. And um, there are some interesting, interesting developments in that particular subject to be sure uh, in regards to um, the uh, pastor of Ebenezer Baptist church and some of the things are coming out uh, about um, him, which uh, again, who knows, uh, but you, uh, evidently the Me Too movement only goes one direction. <laughs> so Me Too only matters if your politics are a certain way. So I don't know. But that's January 5th. And I, I don't know if there are enough eyes on this election uh, to overcome the Dominion algorithms. <laughs> I don't know if they've made sure these machines are not connected to the internet, cannot be messed with. Um, I have very little confidence, I'll be honest with you, on of any of that stuff anymore for the future and anything else. That's January 5th. And then January 6th, I've taken the time to read some of the scenarios in by people who know what they're talking about in regards to what the president of the Senate has the power and authority to do. And the president of the Senate is Mike Pence. Um, news coming out today about uh, Josh Hawley not accepting, you know, the, the uh, electors for Biden. And I don't know, uh, beyond... Beyond my um, field of expertise, I know that not, that, not that I'm going to be traveling at all in the future anyways, but um, if I were, <laughs> that would not be one time period that I would choose to be traveling. Um, in situations like this, we as believers 
uh, need to be level-headed, but we also need to, you know, every generation faces the same thing. Uh, Wise as serpents and gentle as doves. I'm not sure what that means other than it requires being aware of the times. And Jesus told us to, to observe the times, you know, he, he talked about, you know, the red, red night, sailors night, red morning, sailors warning, you know how to read the, the weather, but you don't know how to read the times around you. Um, and that was not meant as a compliment. Um, and so we are to be a people who recognize, for example, I am stunned and disappointed deeply in so many Christians who are so naive as to not see the Christian worldview ramifications of socialism and the massive leftward lurch in our world. And they don't, they don't see how this is going to impact the church and their children, their grandchildren, and, and, and everything associated therewith. Deeply disappointed at the naivete of many along those lines. So we, we have to observe those things. Uh, but we should also be well aware that there is deception all around us from all sides. We should not be gullible to only what's on our side and not on the other side type of situation. And that's not always easy to be. That's, that's, that's a huge challenge to be wise as serpents and, and gentle as doves. That's, that's not an easy, easy thing to, to do. We need to pray for wisdom. And as we need to be peacemakers as well. That doesn't mean... Peacemakers does not mean a doormat for evil. A lot of people think being a peacemaker means you just let evil people walk all over you. That's not what it means. And when you recognize, for example, that the intended cultural revolution of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris would result not only in the fundamental destruction of the freedom of the Christian church to proclaim gospel, but the fundamental destruction of human lives on a massive scale, then to be a peacemaker in that situation is not to be a compromiser, but to fight evil, uh, to fight systemic evil. Let's go ahead and use a, big term that's common today, systemic evil. Uh, so what is that going to mean on January 7th? I don't know. I have no idea. I really don't know what's coming. I don't know if there are enough people that are going to stand up and say, this, this can't be allowed to happen. Uh, there needs to be a free and fair election without the Chinese Communist Party running the voting machines. <laughs> um, but is that even possible? I don't know. I do not know. But um, we're going to be watching very, very carefully and very, very closely uh, to see what, um, what goes on there.
just a few thoughts. Um, 2021. 2021 has the advantage of not being 2020. <laughs> but let's just be honest, especially once you get to my age, years are rather short little creatures anymore. They go by very quickly. And I think most of us recognize that part of the problem of 2021 was the rapidity of the change in how our lives are lived. The danger of 2021 is the establishment of that as the new norm. And the new norm is a continued trajectory off into a very anti-human totalitarianism. A think what you're told to think, say what you're told to say, live according to lies, globalism. And if that's the case, then 2021 will be filled with far more challenges than 2020 was. For the church, as I see it, as I feel it, I'm a member of the church. I don't preach every Sunday. So I, I'm in the audience. I'm in the congregation hearing the word of God and singing the songs and participating in the Lord's Supper. And the danger is that we develop, as many generations have, let's be honest, develop a, a schizophrenia. We have our religious life and we have our real life. And Christianity doesn't have room for that kind of schizophrenia. Our faith informs all of our life. But when the future is so uncertain, how do you not slip into that Sunday worship experience mindset that is so different from watching the breaking news on Monday morning and disconnecting the two? The only way that I can understand you hold those things together is you have to have a solid foundation. And it's hard to be laying that foundation in the midst of turmoil. That's why that kind of stuff had to have been established a long, long time ago. Vital that, it, that those foundations be laid in times of peace rather than attempting to do so in times of battle. And so with 2021 around the corner, you know, I'm asking myself the question, what do we focus upon here at this ministry? We have thousands and thousands of people literally around the globe that listen to what we have to say. And many others for whom we are a lifeline where we are, filling in where we shouldn't have to fill in, but we are in connecting people to groundedness. And so part of that involves continuing to focus upon biblical history, church history, the 
text of the of scripture, the translation of scripture, transmission of scripture over time, the foundational things that are often lost in the shuffle, often lost in looking at everything else. The things we've been doing for many, many years. I hope and pray that we will get to celebrate 40 years of Alpha and Omega Ministries. I'll be honest with you, 2023 feels like a long ways off as far as the speed of censorship, uh, the speed of cancel culture, the speed of destroying free speech in Western countries is concerned. But I would love to still be functioning in that way. And I think one of the things we have to do is we're going to have to get more clear in telling people, look, if, if one day you log on to YouTube and there's no Alpha and Omega Ministries anymore, this is what you need to do. This is where you need to go to find out where we will be, what our outlets are going to be, how we're going to try to continue. Um, because once they take us out, they're going to be taking a lot of other people out at the same time. And there's going to be a huge need for a continuing source of consistent sound information and truth about scripture upon which we stand um, and an application to what's going on in, in the world around us. There's, there's no, no question about that in my mind. And so we'll need to be, we'll need to be clear about that. So I'm not one of those people going, Oh, I can't wait for 2020 to get over with, but I'm also not one of those people that's going, Oh, uh, 2021 is just going to be much, much, much worse. It might be. But God was faithful through 2020. And I think if a lot of us are honest and we look back on this year, we've been purged of a lot of silliness. We've been purged of a lot of worldliness. And part of the question I think we need to ask as we think of I've not heard a lot of talk about New Year's resolutions this year, but as we think about the new year is how much do we want at the end of 2021 to be more like Christ in being obedient to God and sensitive to his spirit than we are at the end of 2020? Is that even a priority? Something tells me there's going to be lots of opportunities for us to be able to, to do the, that very kind of thing, to increase in our sanctification in a big way. So thank you for your support through 2020. Uh, we have been uh, astonished at how many people have stood with us. Uh, we did lose a lot of folks. We, these days have caused division, sadly. But we do thank you for standing with us. And as we go into 2021, especially those first few days, well, uh, we'll be here to try to seek to respond to these issues in a Christ-glorifying, biblically consistent fashion. So thanks for watching Dividing Line. We'll see you next time.